Amen. Amen. Mark. Amazing, amazing. Right, great. Well, it's really brilliant to be here and also fantastic to be getting streamed across Scotland, yeah? It's like, wow, lots of people are listening, so thank you. So whether you're watching me on a screen or whether you're here, it's brilliant, really good. I, uh, my name's Mark, and uh, I'm married to Tamsin, and we've got two kids. My son's called Jordan, and I've got a daughter called Kezia. And um, a, a couple of years ago, my wife wanted to have a, a, a little bit of a family gathering around the dinner table. She wanted to kind of talk about what the new year would hold, and she'd got it all set up amazing. She did really brilliant food, and she even put candles out. When Tamsin puts candles out, like, that's taking it up a level, right? And it's like, wow. And uh, we all met, and we came in, and Tamsin had got it all looking really beautiful, and there was some Bethel worship music playing. It was beautiful. And then we started to have this meal, and um, my son said something to my daughter that really, like, upset me. She, my daughter got a bit twitchy about what he said, and I was like, why do you say those stupid things? And he was like, you know, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, well, I'm going to just show you right now what I'm going to do about it. And I went right across the table. I'm like, you're always saying ridiculous things. Then my daughter, Kezia, she starts crying and says, leave him, dad. And I'm like, I'm only doing this for you, yeah? I'm defending you, and now you're having a go at me. Then my wife's like shouting, saying, why does it always end up like this? It's complete chaos. I wanted this to be beautiful look at it now and we're having this crazy wild time Jordan stands up and says I no longer want to be part of this family he's starting to leave and then Tamsin says you stay right where you are and then we have this moment where there's a pause and then like the Bethel worship music just plays into the room and my wife just turns around and says not now Jesus not now yeah not now, Jesus, not now. And I'm pretty sure we've all had one of those moments where it's like, not now, Jesus, not now. And um, I, I uh, feel really kind of like excited about what God's put on my heart to speak to you about. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a really well-known passage. But I wanted to just for a few minutes just to kind of really wrestle around those words 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 this is what the Bible says it says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. I don't know if you've ever um, had the conversation with your wife or your husband or your family member, your girlfriend or your boyfriend... Have you ever had the conversation, who's the best driver? 
Have you ever had that chat? And is there like a tremendous sense in your family that you know who the best driver is in your family? It's like, wow. Because my wife is a much, much better driver than me. She is like, honestly, she's about 20 times better driver than me. And there have been awkward moments where we've been like arriving at churches and stuff. And it's been a really difficult car park space that they've kept empty for the minister. But it's really tight. And I have actually had to get out the car and my wife has had to get in the car and park up, right? Yeah, do not clap that. That is humiliating, right? And you get out and you're like, yeah, I'm focusing on the word. And uh, it's like... um, In our family, we totally and utterly know that Tamsin is the best driver. But God is a kind and good God. Because in our second year of marriage, we used to have a really difficult part that was difficult to get out. The little car park behind our flat was quite tricky to get out of. And Tamsin was just getting the car out. I was sitting in the passenger seat and I noticed that she was getting quite close to this big yellow car. And I just says, oh, Tamsin, have you noticed the yellow car? And my wife said, I am aware of the car. And then she bashed into it. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I give you praise for the rest of my life. I'm just going to say whenever she's like, oh, I'm a better driver than you. It's going to be, I am aware of the car. Yeah. But, you know, the reason for chatting about this is because um, I really felt in my heart to say um, that, you know, who is driving you? What is driving you? And I began to think about some of the stuff that sometimes drives me. And it was a really weird, weird memory that God took me to when I was going to talk to you. Because a few years ago, about 10 years ago, I was running quite a big youth event. And I began to get driven by fear. And fear was driving me. I was running this youth event. It was about eight or 900 young people. And I was the top guy in charge. And I've all confidence, Mark Ritchie, bravado, but actually I was being driven by fear. My decisions were being driven by fear. I was terrified that something would go wrong. I was worried and nervous all the time. And in the evening, and when it was time for bed, I would be like a baby curled up crying, and I was like in a right state. I was being driven by fear. You see, I want to say to you today that your marriage could be driven by fear. There's maybe someone in the room who is parenting and your parenting has been driven by fear. We can get anxious, we can get worried, we can get nervous and we can allow fear to drive us. You know, perhaps there's somebody in the room and you're even managing your finances or you're managing your home and it's driven by fear that you are constantly anxious, constantly worried, constantly in a place where you're like, oh man, I'm terrified, I'm nervous, I'm worried. I got into using this phrase a lot and I would find myself saying the phrase many times through the week, I would say... Tamsin, the thing is, I'm nervous that, I'm nervous that, 
And it began to become this common phrase that I would use. I am nervous that. I am nervous that this. I'm nervous that that. And I realized that my life was being driven by fear. I feel like I want to speak to someone's soul today and say, fear is a terrible driver. Fear is a terrible driver. Fear will take you to places in your mind that you never wanted to go. Fear will take you into places and get you starting to think about stuff that you never ever thought you would go to. You will end up somewhere that you never ever wanted to be going to. Wow, because fear is a horrible, terrible driver. It's like it grips us. And it absolutely can drive all of our decisions. And maybe somebody who's watching on the screen or maybe someone in this room and you are like understanding what I'm speaking. It's resonating in your soul because you're like, wow, fear is driving my decisions. Fear is driving my reactions and my responses. I'm not responding in a logical way. I'm not reacting in the way that I would normally react because I'm being driven by fear. It's like, wow, fear is a terrible driver. But the excellent news is in 1 John 4 verse 18, the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. We've just read that love never fails. Perfect love drives out all fear. My wife and me, once we saw a really hilarious thing where we saw someone who was obviously driving pretty terribly and then we saw the car pull over and uh, this guy got out the car and the wife got out the passenger seat and she kind of got into the car. She'd obviously had enough. She said, get out, you're driving rubbish, yeah? And I felt like that image that, you know, perfect love, it kind of like hikes fear out of the driving seat. It says, right, okay, you're not driving anymore. And we're driven by love, driven by love. That suddenly when I'm parenting, I'm no longer driven by fear, but I'm driven by love. I uh, want my kids to grow up loving God. I want my son to love Jesus and to live a great life. And I want my daughter to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I found that I was parenting driven by fear. And I've had to get fear out of the driving seat. And I've had to say, no, God, I'm going to allow love to drive me when it comes to my parenting. I'm going to have to choose to do this through your perfect love. I want my decisions and my reactions and my responses not to be one from a place of gripping fear, but I want it to come from a place of, you know, Jordan, I've got your best interests at heart, and this is what I feel we should do. Kezia, I want you to grow up and love God. And it's like, wow, my daughter is 19 she suddenly noticed that there's this thing called males. And I am terrified, yeah? But I'm having to choose to say, God, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm going to live my life driven by fear. I'm going to live my life 
perfect love casts out all fear. I felt I wanted to urge us today that we would allow love to steer us through this week. That we would allow love to take the steering wheel and steer us through this week. I wanted to urge you to be kind this week. To be gracious. To be someone who is generous. I wanted to urge you to be somebody who makes decisions and responses with love steering you through and navigating you through this week. It's like, wow. I felt to say to somebody that we've got to let some stuff go. I, I, I was praying, and I don't know, maybe you could, I mean, everybody's looking at me now, but I was praying and I felt that somebody is holding on to something. I felt like somebody's wronged you and they have wronged you. They have done wrong to you. And what they did was not right or good. But I felt God come and say, you've got to let that go. You've got to let that go. You've got to allow love to steer you. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm one of those guys, I ruminate. I'm like a ruminator. I've got it going spinning around my head. I journal and I talk about all my stuff. And that all sounds cool, but... It means I hold on to things for a long time. I said to my wife the other day, I feel like I've got the tragic roundabout going on in my head, yeah? Not the magic roundabout, but the tragic roundabout. I like have stuff. And maybe I'm the only person in the room that will admit this. But stuff happens and it goes round and I go round in circles with it. And I go round and round in circles. And I'm like, no, God, I want to get off the tragic roundabout. I want to get off it and I want to I wanna be kind. I want to forgive someone this week. I wonder if you could forgive someone this week. I wonder if anyone's actually bitter. The um, great quote that says, bitterness is the poison that you drink and expect the other person to die. It's like we get so gnarled up and so intense and so tight against somebody else. And often that other person doesn't even know you've got a problem with him. Doesn't even know. My dad's a minister of a church in Edinburgh and he used to do this thing where they would break bread and he would say, if there's anyone in the room that's got a problem with somebody else, you need to go and put it right now. We were church of about 70 people. I was like in my teenage years. I used to have a queue of people, yeah, waiting to see me. I, I mean, I opened my eyes and there were about three people. Yeah, 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 you, yeah, we need to talk. And I was like, oh, man. I used to hate that part of the service. I said, oh, man. But God was kind to me because my dad used to do it. And uh, I was on the PA one day and he did it. And breaking the bread, if there's anybody here that's got a problem with someone, you need to go and put it right. And we'll just wait for a couple of moments. And a lady in the congregation had a problem with him. And she came up onto the stage and she started to tell him the problem. I was on the PA. I should have turned the mic down, shouldn't I? That's what I should have done. 
But many, many years of him putting me through that torture, I left it on for a couple of minutes, yeah? Just to share with the whole church exactly what this lady's problem was with my dad. Praise the Lord. But you know, the truth is, is that, you know, we, we can feel bitterness towards people. And it's like, God, you're asking me to give you that baggage, not to drag it through this week, not to pull and carry the weight of the stuff. Maybe you need to put it right with someone. Maybe you need to be able to say, I forgive you. I need to wipe the slate clean. I love what Martin Luther King said was, Martin Luther King says, I choose love because hate is too heavy a burden to carry. That's good words, isn't it? I choose love because hate is too heavy a burden to carry. That like, I know I've got to put some stuff right and I've got to like forgive some people. And it's like, God, would you help us to let love steer, steer us this week? That I would make life choices that are kind of being led by love and not by fear. That love would steer us. And then I felt so compelled to to talk to you about allowing love that we would be kind people. That we would carry the smile of God. You see, what makes me nervous is that I don't know if you've ever met these kind of Christians, but there are Christians who feel that it's their divine right to carry the anger of God. Have you ever met those kind of Christians? They are like annoyed at everything, yeah? They watch a TV program, they're writing a letter, they're sending an email. They're like going around doing their life just angry. Angry Christian, carrying the anger of God. And I'm here today to say, would you be able to carry the smile of God? Would you be able to carry the grace and the kindness of God? Is there people that you could meet this week where you actually do them good because they have been in your company? Could you sit with someone who no one else will sit with? Is there a possibility that you could actually put yourself out and decide to have a conversation with someone that you know that conversation is going to do nothing for you, but it will do a lot for the person? Wow, that we would be kind. I am... used to do schoolwork in Barnsley and uh, I did all these assemblies and lessons and one school invited me to come and do um, a week of assemblies and every morning the same thing happened. The school hall would completely fill up and then there would be five empty rows and then I would start at 9am on the dot and at about three minutes past nine on the Monday a young lad came in and he came in, pushed past the empty chairs and he sat in the middle on the back row. And I noticed it on Monday and he did the same on Tuesday and it happened on Wednesday and he did it again on Thursday. 
Every day, all the rows filled up. And then these five empty rows and a little lad coming in, sitting in the middle at the back. And on the Friday, I was talking. And in the middle of talking, one of the lads on the second row, he stood up. And I noticed immediately that he was the coolest kid in the school. He was the most popular lad. He was great at sports. All the lads loved him. All the girls wanted to be out with him. He was like a cool kid. And on the second row, he stood up. And I remember I was talking and I was thinking, what is going to happen now? What's he going to do? Is he going to come and smack me on the nose? I was like watching him. I was talking and I was watching him. And then he pushed past and then he went right to the back row. And he pushed past the empty chairs and he sat next to this kid. The whole school was going crazy. They were all talking to each other. They were all looking around. They were all chatting to each other. I was at the front. And because obviously I'm like an eagle speaker, I'm like, look at me. Look at me. Stop looking at him. What's going on? Everyone was chatting. Everyone's looking. People kept on turning around. And eventually I calmed people down and I finished the talk. And at the end, as everyone was going out, a teacher came up to me. And this teacher was like, you have no idea what has happened this morning and I'm like you're right yeah tell me what happened this morning and she goes that's the coolest kid in the school I said like I know she goes I don't know if you have noticed but the lad yeah the lad he comes in every day and then she goes oh Mark she goes that lad three months ago lost his mom his mom died his mum died, and what happened is, is that he's been coming to school, and the dad's been trying to look after him, but the dad is so distraught and broken at losing his wife, that that lad is actually not been washing properly, and none of his clothes have been getting washed. And so he's been coming into school, and she says, I hate to say this, but he absolutely smells. And people have been sending letters in, saying, do not let my child sit next to that kid because he smells so bad. And the lad has obviously picked us up from his mates in the school. He's understood the deal. And so he holds himself back. And every day he comes and sits on the back row on his own in the middle. And you were talking about God's love. And this kid on the second row understood what you were saying and got up and walked to the back and sat next to that lad. And the teacher says, Mark, what happened with that lad sitting next to that kid did more, it spoke louder than any of your assemblies. I was like, well, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) put a lot of preparation into that. Thanks a lot. But she was right. She was right. Because in that moment, that lad modeled exactly what we're talking about. Is that wow, to allow love to steer us, that we would be kind, that we would be able to sit next to the person that no one else wants to sit next to, that we would actually be allowing love to steer us through this week, that we would allow, allow the kindness and the gentleness and the love of God. It's like, wow, my wife sat next to a girl recently who's had an abortion and all she did was she sat next to her and put her hand on her back and cried alongside her. And Tamsin said to me after, she says, I felt so useless. I felt like, oh, what can I say? And wow, as as that girl was crying, the best and the greatest thing you could have done was put your hand on her back and just cried alongside her. Just carry the kindness of God. Just carry the grace of God. 
That we would be people that allow love to navigate us through this week. Wow. And so, as I'm moving towards the end of this talk, I want to say that I'm going to just give you two or three minutes of full Mark Ritchie passion because I cannot do it any other way. Because I get... I got excited by this church putting an event on Friday where so many people were guests and it was so brilliant. And I love the heartbeat of this church and what you are about. And so I feel like I want to keep on saying that we must be driven by compassion. That we must be driven by compassion. That we must be driven by the compassion for the northeast of Scotland, for the city of Aberdeen, that we must be driven by compassion. That our church is not to be driven by what is comfortable for us. That it's not to be driven by, well, what do we like and what do we not like and become like a consumer culture of like, oh, marking the worship out of ten. I'll give that a seven. It was really good, by the way. It was seven out of ten. Two men were leaving church, and one turned to the other and said, what did you think of the worship this morning? And the other one says, oh, I didn't like it. I thought the drums were too loud. I didn't like the choice of songs. They never sing the one I like. I didn't like it. And the guy turned to him and says, oh, I didn't realize it was for you. Oh. Worship's not for us to kind of pick and choose what we like, but it's for God, isn't it? That our whole heartbeat will be driven by compassion. The Bible says that Jesus, he was absolutely, compassion was that driving force that would actually stop him and heal people and stop him in his tracks and make him do things that maybe he wasn't even planning on doing that day, but he saw the people and he was moved by compassion. Oh, that we would be driven by compassion. That we would be hurt by the things that God is hurt by. That we would cry the tears that God cries. That the city of Aberdeen, it would capture our soul. We would be like, oh God, we want to get this beautiful, sweet gospel message out to the masses, to everyone that can hear it. Oh, that we would be driven by compassion. My, my son came through the front door of our living room and he found me on my knees sobbing. And he says, Dad, Dad, what's happening? And the reason why I was crying is because I just watched this video. Um, many of you will know the Grenfell Tower. You know the, 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 the thing that happened to the Grenfell Tower. And I, I saw that building and wow, I, I watched this video and this video focused in on a little group. And as soon as you saw the little group, you understood that they had obviously already been rescued. And this little group had all got the survival blankets on and they were there with those foil blankets on and you could see they were talking to each other quickly and excitedly and they were in a little huddle and, and it's like, oh man, you know, people talking about being rescued, people talking about being saved. You're like, wow. And then the, ca- the camera just pans out and there in the background, the building is still burning and people 
are still trying to get out the building. And the camera comes back onto this little huddle. And then suddenly, one of the guys in the huddle, he gets up and he pulls off the, the blanket. He takes off the survival blanket and he throws it down. And then the next thing you watch as he runs towards the building. And they kept following him. And a few minutes later, you see him helping a fireman bring a lady out of the building. And then a bit later on, another gentleman. And when the media asked him later what that was about, he said, I realized I have been rescued to see others rescued. Like, wow. That we, oh, friends, I go traveling, I see so many churches that are just like in a little huddle. They're in a little huddle with their survival blankets on. Oh, we're just so grateful to be saved. We're just so marveled at being saved. Amazing grace, we are saved, wonderful. And it's like, oh, we're just hanging on till Jesus gets back. And they're in their little huddle. And it's like, if that is what church is, I don't want a part of that. I don't want to be in a little huddle where we're all just like stroking each other's backs, remembering how we were saved 30 years ago. But God is calling us that we would stand up and that we would run to the devastated and the broken and the ruined that you would be someone who would go to the absolute devastated, absolutely marginalized, and you would rescue many. My passionate prayer for you guys that are watching this now and for you that are in this building, and my massive, huge prayer is that we would see many rescued. The 2019 would be a year of just seeing lots of children and moms and single moms and dads and businesswomen and all kinds of people rescued in the name of Jesus. That we would not just be in a little huddle, rubbing each other's backs, saying, oh, it's great that we've been saved. But that we would say, we are rescued to see Others rescued. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could just stand in the presence of God. Hallelujah. God, your presence, your presence is so real. We can sense Right the way through this whole service, we can sense your presence. Holy, holy God. Holy God. I feel like I, I, feel like I want to do two things in response, if that's okay. The first is I want to pray. I want to pray for us as a church. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you that if today God's just maybe kind of spoken to your soul about being rescued or being, being that we would go to the marginalized, the devastated, the ruined, the broken, those that are far from God. And in a moment, I'm going to ask that just where we're standing that we would raise both our hands and I would want to pray a prayer as an evangelist who's traveling the world. I would love to pray a prayer over us today that we would, we would see many rescued. 
That we would, oh, I love that this church has never been about being in a little huddle. But wouldn't it be incredible if we saw even more rescue this year than we've ever seen before? Would that be a good prayer? We want to see God stir up our hearts. We don't want to be in a huddle, but we want to reach those that are broken. And that is my prayer, and I'm going to pray that in a moment. And then the second part of the response is that I feel that there are people who maybe would be honest today and say, do you know what, maybe fear, fear has been driving me. And what we're going to do is, that second part, is that I'm going to invite those maybe that feel fear has been driving them to come and stand at the front. And I know the guys will, will pray, perfect love casts out all fear. But before we do that, church, if it's your passionate heart that we would be rescuers, not in some kind of cozy, comfortable huddle, but those who would go to the broken and the ruined, the building is still burning. People are still broken. They're still devastated. And I ask you right now that you would raise both your hands up to heaven. Hallelujah. 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 Father God, holy God, as many on this room right now with their hands raised up to you, that, oh God, that love would, would urge us, that love would compel us, that love would absolutely drive us not to be in a comfort zone, that love would push us out of a warm, cozy, comfortable place, and that God, love would drive us to go to the devastated and the broken and the damaged. Love, oh, love would press us and push us to go to those that maybe we would never normally go. That we would maybe even go to places, to streets, to housing estates, to areas, God, that are maybe not fully our comfort zone. But God, that we would be driven by your love. And Father, as our hands are raised to you now, I pray that we would see a wonderful harvest this year. I pray that 2019 would be a year we would look back that many, many were rescued. Families were rescued. All oh, broken people were rescued. Businessmen and businesswomen were rescued. People in all kinds of situations and in all kinds of devastation would be rescued in the name of Jesus. In your holy name. Amen. Amen. You can.